You are listening to the Nirvana podcast, season 2, episode 12, Nirvana and Hole. Hello everybody and welcome to the Nirvana podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Jiditja. And I'm Gofrien. Yes, we have a special guest once again. Yay! And uh, this time it's uh, Gofrien Oldenburger, my dear ex-colleague. We've worked together for about nine years, I think, for a uh, weekly newspaper for, uh, for children and teenagers. We kept on having discussions about music. The bands that always came up were Nirvana and Hole, so you're probably the biggest Hole fan that I know. Uh, I think you're actually the only Hole fan that I know. Actually, I'm the only Hole fan I know too, so <laughs> I do feel a little, little bit lonely. But don't don't worry, after this podcast has aired, I'm sure we'll get a lot of messages from listeners who can uh, tell you that they're also Hole fans and that they totally understand you. So, Oh, I really hope so. That was my main goal for tonight so <laughs> good <Yeah>. let's see <laughs> yeah so um if you're listening to this and if you uh, are a whole fan as well send us a message and uh, let us know and <laughs> help Gofrine break free from her isolation <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> how did you get into whole how did you get introduced to them i think it was mtv because mtv was the main source for me for discovering new music and i think it must have been miss world the first single of uh, of live through this and before that, when I was around 12, I was a big ABBA fan. And then I had a bit of a glam rock phase with Aerosmith and Bon Jovi. And then there was Nirvana, of course, but I, I liked them, but not as much as most people would. And then finally came Hole. And uh, I don't know, I, I guess it just felt like I had been waiting for this my whole life. Finally, there was a cool woman who had something to say and uh, who had a bit of well, louder music than I, I used to listen to. So it was love at first sight. <laughs> it was. <laughs> did you then work your way back to their earlier work? I did, yeah. I started with uh, Live Through This. I listened the album over and over again. And then I went back to uh, Pretty on the Inside, which was a bit louder and a bit more blunt, I would say. But I still loved that one as well. So yeah, and then I bought all these special editions and singles and posters and everything. So And then you throw those uh, special editions away, you just I told know. me before we started recording. Yes, I was moving in Amsterdam to a small house and then I figured I don't need my music anymore because now I'm on Spotify. I threw away a lot of music and also band shirts, even signed ones, Aww. not by whole. But yeah, I know, such a shame. Yeah, <laughs> There is. goes my special... Special I, stuff. I think it, it happens a lot. Never do that. If you're in doubt, never throw it away. No, that's very good advice for everyone. You were talking about band shirts and stuff like that. So did you ever see whole life? I did, but it was already 2010, I think. Ah, right. Um, yeah. So she was a bit older then. And <laughs> I remember everybody sort of was hoping and waiting and, and, and wishing for her to just stand up straight the whole concert <laughs> everybody was sort of like oh will she make it will she make it and she did but yeah i wasn't there in in 90 uh 1995 or 96 in paradiso in amsterdam and i would have loved being there but i don't know i guess i was too young or something but i missed that one right yeah. welcome to the club uh, we've all <laughs> we've also missed out on uh seeing nirvana live so uh so the idea for today is going to be that we're going to flick through the uh, whole catalog and I hope you can uh, tell us and show us and let us see and hear 
what makes it such a great band and such an important band for you. And meanwhile, I'm going to try to uh, to slip in the Nirvana connection. The connection is pretty obvious, of course, because uh, Kurt and Courtney were married. I'm sure everybody knows. Uh, but I think there was also some interesting musical connections that we can uh, that we can explore. Let's just start uh, with the beginning. Uh, like you said, uh, their debut album was uh, called Pretty on the Inside. It's quite a rough album so we just have a have a listen to the very first track so here we go it's called teenage whore <laughs> I remember when we worked together, you would sometimes uh, spontaneously start to sing this song. <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah. I was good at it too, right? <laughs> yeah, you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is obviously really rough, both lyrically as musically as in terms of production and, and, and stuff. Were you into this album as well, immediately, or...? Maybe I wasn't in the beginning. Maybe I had to listen to it a couple of times, but I did like the way she sort of, she set the tone. I wished I would have met them the other way around, like first pretty on the inside and then live through this. I think it was a proper introduction of Hall and what to expect from Courtney. As she later said, uh, she liked a good entrance. And I think this album was a really good entrance. Uh, that first sentence alone, when I was a teenage whore, I think it's a good, yeah, a good song to, to sort of shock people. And uh, also it really says a lot about where she comes from and what she has been through so i thought it was rough and uh and raw and yeah yeah can't imagine it's kind of the same thing with nirvana fans i mean uh bleach their first album was also a lot heavier than uh their big breakthrough album nevermind of course so um I, th I think a lot of nirvana fans had the same experience got introduced with uh, a more polished sound. And then when they looked at what came before that, they got introduced to the more heavy, hard-rocking uh, stuff. Um, you already mentioned that uh, Courtney, uh, she had lived like three lives before she even started this band with uh, guitarist Eric Erlandson. She had been through so much. A couple of weeks ago, I read one of her biographies. It's an insane story about how she grew up with like hippie parents and then she got sent off to New Zealand Zealand and she lived in, in Great Britain and then she was a stripper in Japan and she left a trail of people that she stalked and burned down houses and crazy, crazy stories. It's, it's, it's un unbelievable. It is. It really is an unbelievable story. And um, I think a pretty interesting one as well. I think this album, Pretty on the Inside, sort of um, describes where she comes from. Like songs as Teenage Whore or Retard Girl is another one where she uh, sang about uh, being bullied at school. Or later she said it was written after an almost rape at one of the stri strip clubs where she worked. You'd, you'd never really know what was true and what it was really about. But um, I think this this whole album reads as a book, uh, as, as sort of a, an introduction to Courtney and her life and her really weird, messed up life. I think you can really hear it through the songs. Yeah. So uh, let's have a listen to uh, Retard Girl, you, the, the song you already mentioned. Girl, 
fun fact, by the way, this album was produced by Kim Gordon of Sonic Youth. And of course, uh, Sonic Youth was a very important band for Nirvana as well. So I think uh, there's already a bit of a, a connection uh, there. The album did pretty good, I think, for like an underground release as it was in the back in the day. It did, yeah. Then um, that same year, 1991, that uh, whole release, this uh, debut album, uh, Nirvana broke through with, with Nevermind. So that, that was quite a year, you, you could say. What I find interesting is that it sort of feels like Hole was one step behind on, on Nirvana in some ways. And I don't mean behind as that they were worse or something like that. But when Nirvana was on their second album and their breakthrough, they were on their first one, just like Bleach. And then after Nirvana hit the big time and after they disbanded, unfortunately, they came in with their second album and then they came in with their Unplugged. So it sort of feels like it's exactly the same trajectory, but just one step behind. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on. Um, but of course, by the time uh, Hole got to make their second album, Nirvana had already happened. Yep. Kurt and Courtney had already yep. uh, gotten together and became like a, a celebrity grunge couple in the eye of a media storm at, at, at some at some point. So it must have been a bit weirder for, for them, I think. Because the whole dynamic had changed and uh, the music industry had changed. Yeah. Let's, let's skip forward to a song that was sort of in between their uh, two albums. Uh, the single called A Beautiful Sun, uh, which featured on the uh, on the sleeve a, uh, a childhood picture of, of Kurt. And that combined with the title gives uh, pretty much the impression that she at least partly wrote it about Kurt. You look good in my dress Look at your friends to clean the mess You look good in my clothes I can feel you where the doctor goes My beautiful son My beautiful son My beautiful son And of course, uh, Kurt uh, was known that he liked to wear dresses. So, yeah, I, I guess that um, that fits. Uh, and also, I think you can hear that they're already developing into a more accessible sound. I think they were going for like the big audience and their their big break, which are just days before um, it got released. Uh, Kurt took his own life. So that was a bizarre coincidence, uh, I suppose. Were you aware of that whole situation back in the day? Not back then, I I think, because I saw Miss World was one of the first songs I, I saw on MTV. And I didn't know the album that was released in 94. Uh, that was probably a couple of months before that. So I didn't realize it at the time. Uh, later on, I did, of course. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, it must have been horrible for her. The timing was so weird. Yeah, I, I always got the impression that she was more or less ready to step into the limelight and and present her her own career uh, and really step out of Kurt's shadow. But because of his death, uh, yeah, that became pretty much impossible, I think. Even though the album did really well, and, and rightly so, I think. Personally, I think it's it's 
absolutely their um, their best album and also one of the best albums from that time period and from that uh, genre so um, I wanted to uh, <laughs> propose that we're gonna uh, spend a lot of time <laughs> talking about live through this if you're okay with that if you say no we can skip that one <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to Courtney's solo stuff that's that's cool as well but um now let's talk about live through this yeah okay so let's go let's first have a listen to the first song called violet If you want to talk about Hole, you can't go around this one. This is probably the most popular and the most well-known Hole song there is. Uh, I also think it's one of their best because it has such a good sort of mix between radio-friendly and still rock enough uh, to make it cool. I also really liked the video back then. I remember it was all about decay and you could feel the vibes of, of sort of sexual exploitation of women. The dancers were good and they were sort of uh, sort of showing Courtney's uh, striptease past and they she would play with it. And the song is about violence, but also about taking control, I think. It was about Billy Corgan, her... Uh, one of her boyfriends back then, or her boyfriend. Yeah, and, and for those of you who who don't know, um, he's the lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. He'll come back on, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, later on in this uh, in this uh, 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 podcast. And the song has has a, a big Smashing Pumpkins vibe as well. I think it could have been a Smashing Pumpkins song, which doesn't mean that I don't like it because it's great. But it's interesting that it's about him, and then it also sounds like him. <laughs> I think you could say that about a lot of those bands in the days, they, I think they used to hang out and listen to each other so much and they sort of shared uh, pieces of lyrics. And I, I think Courtney wrote a lot of lyrics with her boyfriends while lying in bed and stuff. And <laughs> she wrote a lot of poetry with them. So I think it makes sense that they sort of influenced each other and that you can really hear that uh, in, in the songs. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah. yeah. By the way, uh, perhaps it's good to point out that at this point, uh, half of the band had already uh, been replaced. Personally, I don't know how you see this, but I think uh, you can define Hall as uh, Courtney Love, Eric Erlandson, a drummer and a bassist, right? Just as you could say, uh, Nirvana is Kurt Cobain, Chris Novoselic, and a drummer. I know Hall with Melissa Aufdermauer or first Kristen Pfaff I think they were quite important too and and Patty Schemmel the, the drummer uh, who, who made this whole interesting documentary uh, a few years back so this is the way I see Hole it, it really is a four piece band but they replaced some of the of, of the pieces along the way right <laughs> yes they did yeah but that was in the beginning so at some point there were the four of them and then they sort of proceeded from then on uh, with those four people I think um, they were quite steady 
Yeah, and perhaps it's not a fair thing uh, for me to say because Christian Pfaff, their bassist on uh, this album, passed away quite shortly after Kurt did. So yeah. also uh, quite shortly after the release of this album. Now, there's all kinds of crazy stories about that too. It sometimes gets tied in with the whole Kurt Cobain was murdered theory and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, also, there's a lot of people saying that she already had left Hole or that she at least she wanted to leave Hole and that she wasn't really, really happy with the band. Did you get into all that stuff or you just strictly keep it to the music? Not so, not so much. No, I, I would, uh, watch MTV a lot. And if there was something on about Hole or if they would turn up in the MTV news, of course, I would watch it. And every time they were on, I would videotape it and watch it all over again. But this kind of stuff, maybe I had seen it, maybe not, I'm not sure, but I never believed it because Hole was sort of sacred to me. So anything hmm. that people said that would prove otherwise, I wouldn't uh, believe it anyway. And does it also mean that you approve of pretty much everything that Courtney does or? I guess I did back then. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that interview with uh, Madonna on the MTV Awards. Mm -hmm. That was a long time ago and and i think kurt loader was interviewing her live at the mtv awards and then courtney decided it was her time to be interviewed and she, she sort of made that happen in a very funny way i loved of, it of course i've seen that because uh, you sent the, the clip to me <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's why i uh, lined up uh, the audio so we can have uh, a listen to it how it all uh, went down uh, you have an album of, album of ballads coming out right yeah it's kind of a, kind of a something smoochie. to remember yeah <laughs> Smoochy so this thing. is Madonna. Something to you know what to. <laughs> Does this reflect the new smoochiness in your life, or? You, you may say it's um, reflection of that, but it's um, it's also. And Courtney starts throwing stuff Hi, at her. Courtney. Powder boxes. <laughs> That's Courtney, everybody's favorite. Come on up. <laughs> Should we let her come up? Yeah. No, don't, please. Come on, Courtney. Come on up. Courtney's coming up. Well, come up. Courtney Love is in deep, in dire need of attention right now. Is she, she's throwing her compact at me. <laughs> I'll just stand over here. We'll we'll gape together. Hi. Good. <laughs> what you doing? I'm talking I'm, to am her. I, am I fully interrupting? I'm, no, no, no. Uh, like, we have some questions for you. Check out, check out Chris. He's like a Donna Karen man. <laughs> Look, am I, I'm interrupting you, you know, and you guys are in a seat. I'm just feisty. I, 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 I don't okay. mean to, like, you know, bum, bum, bum. You, I, Is this your this first your encounter? Thing, you know? No, 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 we've no, talked. No, we've had a few encounters. I disagree with her and our guy right? a bit. But Alana's, there's some pipes. There's some pipes. What, what? Oh, my God, talking <laughs> to the big ice cream. Yes, she's amazing. Sorry I insulted you. What? Yes, I was Kurt. in a bad mood. <laughs> But you said something mean about me that day. Uh, I read it now. Come on, mean. let's get it all out. Have you been following Courtney's career? I think career? you should come in here too, Tabitha. So we'll come talk on, about it then. Get you know, I insulted in Tabitha badly, and, and I was in do? a bad <laughs> mood. And, 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 and. Okay, it goes completely <laughs> off the rails from there. Um, at the end of the, well, let's say interview, uh, she she tumbles over and falls off her chair <laughs> because Courtney is a is a big mess. This was in 1995, I think. So yeah, I, I think it was a year after everything had happened, which was a lot. So I can, in in a way, I can see why she was such a, such a mess. Although, well, 
there's there's reason to be <laughs> to say that she was a a mess already. But but uh, it was stuff like this that made you root for Courtney even more, I suppose. It did, yeah, yeah. I loved it so much because it was so she was so disruptive and so um, witty at the same time. I think she was very funny, and uh, by doing this, she made the most famous pop star. Of all times, maybe she, she made her fall completely out of character. And in the end, Madonna did really well. I think, I think she handled her quite well. She made some funny remarks too. And it ended up in a funny conversation between the both of them. It turned out to be way more interesting than any interview would have ever been. Courtney Love sort of, uh, said, look, what we're doing here is, is not that big of a deal. It's not rocket science. It's not, it's not astrophysics. Uh, it's just a show that we're, uh, playing here and uh, everybody can know that and uh, I think that was sort of her strength as well she she made people fall out of character and uh, also uh, just showed that every everything was fake yeah and she did it with a lot of humor as well <laughs> yeah that's right I, I love the expression on Madonna's face when she's saying oh please don't ever come up <laughs> there's some bit of a fear because she knows that it's not going to be like a, a predictable interview anymore there's going to be like a loose cannon going straight through it. She even walks off at, at one point and then Courtney yeah. just sticks around. And <laughs> also when she, okay, first she throws stuff at somebody in the middle of an interview. Then she walks on through and she says, oh, am I interrupting something? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> it's funny. I read somewhere that Madonna's record label wanted to sign hole. And that yeah. after the first, I think after the first album, and that Courtney said no because she apparently didn't want to, like, I can imagine that you're another woman being signed to the label of one of the biggest women in pop at that moment that you're afraid to be sort of branded like a Madonna protege or something like that. But yeah. <laughs> so but, but been, I, I'm not yeah. sure if that's a fact or if that's a, a thing that Courtney liked to yeah, tell. Yeah, I have oh, no Mad idea. Madonna tried to... <laughs> tried to sign me, but uh, I blew her off. I mean, it sounds also sounds like a typical Courtney Love story, but there can be like a, a base of, of truth underneath it. I don't know. I think this was true, but again, I'm not sure either. I mean, you never know, but I think it was. And she even reminded Madonna at this encounter as well. She said, uh, or, or Kurt Loder asked Madonna if, if Madonna had seen whole play live and Madonna didn't and then Courtney sort of reminded her but your record company was trying to she she yeah. mumbled something like Maverick <laughs> yeah. and uh, I think she meant your record company was trying to sign me and she didn't even watch my show so yeah. she wanted to prove that Madonna was I don't know not yeah. interested or fake or whatever yeah um yeah by the way um I think every record company at that point was trying to sign quote unquote grunge bands so it wasn't that strange. I remember seeing an interview with Kurt Cobain um, and he got asked about that. And he was actually pretty nice about Madonna. He said, well, I'm not really into her music, but I do respect what she did for like uh, the gay scene and the disco music and, and stuff like that. So uh, he was a bit less. <laughs> I think Courtney uh, and Madonna ended up being friends as well. Really? Yeah. Even after this encounter, they kissed and made up. And after after that, they became pals in a way. I think they had uh, conversations. So I think oh. they ended up well. Oh, cool. Well, they have um, some uh, some similarities, I guess, also in their backgrounds and stuff like that. So I can imagine that they would be uh, 
friendly to each other. And uh, yeah, cool. exactly. And and as Courtney said, I think uh, they weren't really that big of a competition because they did really different stuff. Courtney was into grunge, Madonna was into pop, so they weren't in each other's way. No. And I guess that might have helped as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, back to uh, Live Through This. You already mentioned that the very first whole song that you ever heard was uh, Miss World. And it's also the next one on my list. But I wanted to share a alternative demo version uh, because on that one, Kurt is playing the bass. So I thought, uh, let's uh, keep on pushing the Nirvana connection uh, <laughs> cool. there. Uh, when they were in Brazil, uh, Nirvana had like uh, studio time to demo uh, some some songs. And I think in between sessions um courtney love and their drummer patty schemmel uh they also used up some of that time and then of course they needed uh, a bassist and then uh, that's when uh, kurt picked up the bass guitar and um this is how it sounded when they demoed miss world You can really hear how the bass guitar lifts up the song. And uh, <laughs> no, no, yeah, right. just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Kristen would have done a fine job, as yeah. Melissa would have. Yeah, of, of, of course. I mean, he's, he's just filling in the the blanks. But uh, yeah, it's such a great song. I must say, um, we already compared Hall's career to Nirvana's, and uh, so this would be like their Nevermind, I suppose. I think an important similarity is that. They put the best songs at the beginning of the album. Definitely, the first uh, the first few songs are the most famous ones uh, to begin with, but also one of their best. Uh, although Doll Parts is at number six, I think. But the first two were uh, Violet and Miss World, and I definitely count those two of their best songs. Yeah, I really loved how she played with um, with uh, this uh, sort of distorted self image with this beauty queen image it also showcases her craftsmanship as a lyricist i think lines like i'm miss world somebody kill me it's such strong imagery i I realize i just compared the album to nevermind but i think lyrically it's more like a companion piece to in utero like you said before perhaps uh, kurt and courtney uh, inspired each other with lyric writing they had been through a, a lot together uh, uh, right before they made those two albums. Uh, so I think it's not a coincidence that some of the themes are the same, like uh, references to witchcraft, uh, a lot of talk about milk. It's, it, you can find it on, on, on both albums. I think that's, that's really, really interesting. Uh, babies showing up left and right, stuff like that. Body parts and stuff like that as well. Body parts, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Suicide. Suicide, yeah. Perhaps one of the most obvious examples of that is uh, I think that I would die. Let's let's check it out and then we can we can see if you uh, if you agree with me or not.
I, w- I wanted to come in uh, late in into the song because I wanted to get that fu in because it's so good and heartfelt. But um, yeah, for those you, for those of you who didn't uh, uh, quite get it, uh, it's all about where is the baby? I want my baby. That's like the the, the chorus line, and of course, um, not long before this. Um, Kurt and Courtney had a baby, lost uh, custody uh, uh, of their child. So I think it's pretty one-on-one. Or do you have like a complete different interpretation of those uh, lyrics? No, I think that's uh, that's pretty much what this song was about. Yeah. And um, I, I read somewhere that Patty Schemmel said that Courtney didn't really talk about this a lot. So uh, for Patty, it was very uh, sort of intense to listen to this this song. Because uh, through the lyrics, she knew how Courtney felt about it. Hmm. So that made it kind of even more personal, I think. If Again, I think there's a similarity. Uh, Kurt was known for not talking about a lot of stuff. I think he even communicated with his bandmates through interviews and even, even their biography. I think there was stuff in there that <laughs> the other guys didn't know about yet. That's such a weird way of communicating with one another. It is. I think that was the same with whole, at least when it came to, to the drug abuse, I think. When mm. they used heroin, they would all sneakily do that, even though they were all doing it, sort of. <laughs> so why not use together and, yeah. you know, sort of hang out together have and have fun? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, th- I think it's like a typical thing that happens within bands. It kind of reminds me of what uh, Cornell said when we we had a, uh, when we had him on as a guest uh, to talk about Guns N' Roses. How Axl Rose would actually talk about the drug abuse of his bandmates uh, on stage. I say, well, there's a time and place for everything, but apparently it's a it's like a rock star thing to not directly confront somebody, but use their art to do it. Something like that. Yeah, that's weird too. About Courtney, I read that she didn't like her band members to be wasted. She was the only one who was entitled to be wasted on stage, especially the drummer, because she thought that the drummer must be sort of clear at all times or something. I don't know what yeah. was that about. but It's bizarre. Yeah, talking about the double standard. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that was also her idea of rock and roll, I guess. I mean, things I know about her and, and the way she approached not just being a singer, but just like, let's say, being being famous and, and being interesting and in the limelight, just like we were discussing before, um, her, her being disruptive and stuff like that. Maybe that was her way of, of sort of thinking of of the whole rock and roll myth like it's the singer that can be like the outcast and the weird one and the rest of the band just has to play well and and prove that the band is great even though the singer is is weird something like that yeah. I, I can imagine that that would be something that she would think yeah that makes sense and i guess it does make sense in a way as well i mean if you're all messed up you are sure that it's not going to sound like anything so if no, at exactly. least three of them are okay then you <laughs> yeah. can be you know messing up yeah yeah because you still Maybe. you do need to be a great band to be allowed to mess up because if you're a crappy band and then your singer just collapses on stage then nobody's going to pay attention to you so yeah yeah, yeah but still it's uh it's kind of arrogant to <laughs> demand things of your colleagues that you don't live up to yourself. But uh, maybe that's just me. Yeah. But I also think that she was 
uh, able to do a lot while being wasted. I mean, she could still <laughs> curse. <die>. Cur- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's different for a drummer. I can imagine in a way that you really have to keep red- rhythm and she's yeah. lying off. It's it's okay because everybody. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Two more songs uh, from from this album. First of all, I'd like to play um, Asking For It. But again, uh, like an alternative version because Kurt is singing uh, backing vocals on it. But in the um, official version, that's buried pretty much uh, into the mix. Uh, But later, an uh, alternative version, an alternative mix uh, showed up and you can hear it a bit more clearly. So I thought it would be nice uh, to have a listen uh, to that. Does it uh, annoy you in any way that I'm keep pushing like uh, Kurt's involvement and his role in uh, in it? No, it doesn't. No, uh, I guess it would annoy me if you started claiming that he wrote her her, <laughs> <Yeah>. her songs. <laughs> because that's like a myth that people, especially people who don't like Courtney, keep spreading. Exactly. Yeah, and it's putting her down without you know any proof and it's uh yeah yeah they they come up with clips like these to quote unquote prove it which is totally bullshit of course it's just that this is uh, is the uh, nirvana podcast so that's why i'm (laughs) (laughs) i'm highlighting like oh but kurt just did this and kurt did that no, but I think I do think that their uh, mixing together it made them both more interesting, and they're I think everybody in the end influenced each other as well. I think Hull and and Courtney uh, Courtney influenced a lot of other bands, uh, as did Kurt. And of course, if you're married, uh, you you will have influence on each other's music. So I think yeah, it makes sense to sort of. Throw that in every now and then in the Nirvana podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think yeah. that also a lot of people who, who spread stories like that, uh, apart from maybe being Courtney haters, um, are also people who don't realize how a creative process can go. Because yeah, sure, there are people who are working on their writing all alone and, and then come out with something amazing. But... Most of the time, uh, not just in music, but in a lot of lot of other um, artistic endeavors, you talk to people, you work together, and you explain your ideas. And like you said, it, you help each other out. And I think in this case, actually, Courtney's uh, lyric writing—they have the same themes during this period, but Courtney is is so much clearer in her writing. I won't say a better writer because it's different to me. It's so clear that 
even though they they influenced each other, she has her own way of using her words uh, in this. Yeah, exactly. And I think it works, in, especially in bands. Nobody ever talks about, you know, band members helping each other writing a song, but usually bands write songs together. Exactly. Um, and for some reason, Courtney is being watched like she has a lot of stuff to hide when it's just a matter of, yeah, cooperating or helping each other out or influencing each other like you say yeah and and, and maybe she, she did steal some stuff left and right but i think every great artist did that yeah exactly. i mean um just the other day uh Yedetia, i uh, texted you uh, a song that i came across that sounds yeah. the guitar lick sounds exactly the same as uh, being a son uh the nirvana song i i don't have it under the under the button right now but yeah you, you can you can there, there's a lot of examples where you can say, oh, Nirvana stole this or that idea or riff or dynamic from other bands. Uh, for some reason, people like to hit Courtney uh, over the head with it. It doesn't really feel fair to me. No, and also it's so clear that she wrote it from this uh, female perspective. Yeah. I mean, if anything is clear on, on all of their albums, I think it's the, the female rage and the... the the, the gender issues that she is addressing. And I think they are clearly written by a woman. That's really interesting that you say that because I think you're totally right. But there's also a weird discrepancy in the fact that she writes from a woman's point of view about female subjects, about feminism and stuff like that. But at the same time, she is so often associated with men with the whole Billy Corgan thing, with Kurt Cobain, uh, there are stories of her from from way back in in the UK where she sort of hung around bigger male artists. There's sort of this weird thing of like it sometimes from a distance it could feel like she's sort of fangirling, which is also something that she was accused of. Just to say that, like, the, the men in her life were pretty important. <laughs> yeah. There's a sort of a, not that you can't have, like, important men in your life and be a feminist, obviously. But I think that for the outside world, maybe sometimes if you don't really get into her work, that would feel a bit weird. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's that's another thing that people say a lot about her. And I, th I also think it's confusing in a way. But I also think that she is just a very confusing person and she's full, full of contradictions. Uh, she, she's clever and mean at the same time. She's blunt, but also a brilliant poet. She she seems to be singing and, and, and doing a lot uh, with men and also trying to be a feminist. She's just so many things at the same time, yet people always sort of try to narrow her down to, to one thing and one thing only, but she is just a very complicated uh, person, I think. And also uh, it probably has a lot to do with her youth and how she knows life. Uh, if you've been stripping since you were, I think, 16 or maybe 14 even, 16, like I think. Very young age. Very young, yeah. I guess you you would get a very strange sense of the world and, 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 and your communication sort of gets affected by that. And this is the, this is the language she spoke and this is how she learned life. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Um, so let's uh, skip forward to the last song, uh, of, uh, live through this called rockstar. Uh, I hope, uh, she can, uh, <laughs> Have a good start uh, with this song. Start correctly. No, no mistakes. Mm -hmm. 
Oh. Courtney, come on. Mother went to school. <laughs> But did she really go to school in Olympia? <laughs> <laughs> no, she didn't. <laughs> she messed up on purpose, of course. Yeah. She would never mess anything up. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, this this song was her criticism about the Riot Girl movement. It's pretty interesting as well, I think, because the Riot Girls were this female punk movement that sort of came up uh, for girls in the punk music and sort of demanded that girls uh, would get their own space and, and started making more music. And uh, yeah, because this punk music scene was sort of male dominated and they sort of claimed their own space. And you would think that Courtney would totally agree with this perspective yeah. and this kind of ideas, but she mocked them anyway in this song because she said, you know what? You try, you, you, you think that you're breaking all these rules. Uh, but in the end, what you're doing is you just come up with new rules, uh, for songs and you all sound the same. She claimed that all these riot girl bands sort of sounded the same. And to be fair, I do think she has a good point there. But, but she also got involved with, uh, with bands like Bikini Kill and stuff like that, right? Uh, I think she had to because Toby Phil was, Kurt's ex, yeah. Toby Phil from from Bikini Kill was Kurt's ex, and uh, I think that she hated them, but I'm not sure. I think she hated them from the beginning. And this Kathleen Hanna was the other band member. Yeah. She used to date Dave Grohl, and I think Courtney even uh, got into a fist fight with her once. And uh, well, Courtney got into a fist fight with, with everybody <laughs> yeah. sooner or later. But uh, yeah, there she forgot the whole uh, feminist uh, thing <laughs> yeah. uh, for a while. Yeah attacking other women and being mean yeah but anyway this song was um was meant to mock to to make fun of this yeah. Uh, movement yeah uh, personally i think it's a bit of a shame to end the album with this one because i think she has more interesting things to say than just to lash out at like a scene there, there there's so much deeper stuff going on so much more intense and in, more interesting to, at least to me uh, uh themes and and and, and topics then just say, oh, you guys are stupid. That's sort of how it comes across to me. Yeah, true. And also that one of those girls was Kurt's ex probably didn't help either. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so yeah, I, I do agree there. Yeah. Despite the fact that the, the, the release, the whole period was, was horrible for them. Um, the album did really good. I think it was received very well. It probably sold very well, but obviously after losing her husband so tragically, and the band member, they were going through a really rough time. I think that a Madonna clip we just played um, when Courtney was really, really uh, high on, I don't know what, was from that same period. Also from 1995, so a year later, um, 
you pointed out to me uh, an incident that happened uh, in our own country in Amsterdam. Somebody at a whole show sh- shouted stuff at Courtney like, uh, you killed Kurt? Did she shout that? Yeah, she, she 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 did. She threw water at her and and she shouted out that you killed Kurt. Yeah, and uh, this is how Courtney responded to that. she was gone <laughs> and then she was gone well, we thought they really liked Amsterdam yeah I'm disappointed now <laughs> yeah yes. and, and she doesn't really strike me as a feminist is that strange that is uh, that is very strange yeah this is one of those moments where she s- certainly wasn't feminist uh, and she sort of well obviously responded quite immature and, and, and like a little child at the same time it's you know it's a big thing to say. It's awful uh, it, if someone it, it's calls absolutely you awful. But I just don't really get what Eddie Vedder's dildo has to do with it. Or? No, I think that is just her talking her street language. This is <laughs> she's she talks like a woman of the streets because she she is. Yeah, I, this is I, the I get sh- it. It's the just shit. her expressing her rage. But uh, it does strike me as odd that she feels the need to sum up the famous people that she slept with. I mean, yeah. what does that have to do with anything? Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. It, it does seem to me that she's trying to, to hold up like her own self-image or self-esteem exactly. by referring to that or something like that. Yeah. I think it has to do with her past, but, you know, I'm not a psychologist, so maybe this makes no sense at all. But she, she started life as a groupie and um, she was a big fan of all these bands herself. Uh, when she was young and uh, she always had crushes on on the singers and and people in uh, from bands and uh, well now she is famous and now she can have all the men she wants so i think part of her dignity comes from that yeah sort of and when people are putting her down maybe this is the first reactions she has to get back her her dignity in a very fucked up way but (laughs) again that's Probably her yeah, being and a street girl. Given the things that she's been through, kind of makes sense that she was lo- losing it every now and then. But uh, Exactly, yeah. yeah. So uh, next up is their um, MTV Unplugged album. Uh, there's a lot of good and interesting stuff on that, but I, th- I think we're going to have to 
cherry pick a little bit because this is already becoming a very long episode. Of course, uh, pushing the Nirvana factor, uh, there are two very notable songs on there. Um, uh, you know, you're right. The Nirvana song, although here it's titled, uh, you've got no right. Um, the song hadn't been released by Nirvana then for, for a long time. So for a lot of people, it was the first introduction to the song. But we actually already played it once on the podcast. Are you okay with us skipping it? And go sure. to the to the next uh, Nirvana song, <laughs> Sure, uh, Old Age. Um, we Yay. already, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's one of our favorites. Um, and we've already discussed that song as well, but not this version. So uh, let's first check out the one Nirvana version that we have never uh, shared with our listeners yet. It's uh, from their uh, boombox rehearsals, uh, which were like the recordings they made before they went into the studio and do uh, the Nevermind album. And then uh, we go straight into the whole unplugged version. Personally, I think it's pretty touching that she starts with this rest in peace, me in pieces thing. And I think it's, it's new. I don't, I've never heard that before. So I, th- I think she just added it to the song and gives like a more personal touch. I, I, I'm guessing that it's not a coincidence that she put it on uh, before going into a song that Kurt wrote. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So is there another um, song from the Unplugged session that we have to share or can we can we skip to the to the next studio album no i really loved the whole mtv unplugged uh, uh show um i think it was amazing and it really showed for once and for all that they uh they could nail it without the noise as well and whole would still be uh, standing up straight and have really good songs i, I really love every song uh of the whole session uh, like Drowned Soda was one of my favorites and also Sugar Coma. 
Yeah. Shall we just play a, a, a snippet of, of Sugar Coma? Yeah. And then, uh, and then we can move on. Yes. <laughs> I think this is pretty much where the analogy between the two careers ends, because while Nirvana didn't do a lot uh, anymore after their after their uh, unplugged session, and um, for their third album, Hole took a different approach, where Nirvana decided to make a less accessible album. I think Hole went into the studio to make a more accessible album and have a more polished sound, um, because uh, in 1998. Eight, um, they released a Celebrity Skin. Um, let's first uh, check out uh, the title song and I think one of the most famous uh, songs of the album. Here we go. Oh, make me over. This is such a cool song. It is so cool. Yeah. This was really like their comeback and they opened it and they, it's great to listen to this. Yeah. um, It it kind of, I kind of forgot about this song and then I watched the um, Captain Marvel movie. And then when the end credits uh, came on, uh, this song played through the speakers of the cinema. Yeah. Yeah, It was really awesome. I thought, oh, right. This one. yeah. Yeah. I think Courtney and the band are probably living off the royalties of this song alone because it is so often used in like films, documentaries, reality TV stuff, whatever, just because it's such a great opener and it works for so many things. It's I mean, it's quite amazing. Yeah, and it was nominated for a Grammy Award even. All right. The whole cool. the whole album was nominated for three Grammy Awards and uh, this was one of them. They didn't win, unfortunately, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah. And uh, well, then maybe Billy Corgan, here he is again, uh, is also living off uh, the royalties because yeah. he's one of the co-writers of this uh, of this song, which, of course, um, gave the haters fuel to say, yeah, you see, uh, Courtney can't write her own songs, blah, blah, blah. But uh, yeah, yeah, they just uh, had That's him in as That's always like a the, the, the women they say that about. I just want yeah, to exactly. put in this feminist yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I don't think uh, Elvis Presley uh, wrote many of his own exactly. tunes. Uh, he hardly got ever got really criticized for it. And one of the best songs of this album, aside Celebrity Skin, was uh, Northern Star. And uh, she wrote it together with Eric Erlandson, the usual combination. So there was no Billy Corgan involved in that one. The music was written by Eric Erlandson. He was working on this uh, guitar part and then she heard it and then they sort of improvised. He was playing the guitar and she improvised with the lyrics and the voice was a one take thing. This is one of your favorites, right? It is, yeah. A ballad of all. Yeah. yeah, and when we were preparing for this podcast, you even specifically let me know 
where in the song we should uh, get in. So we're going to do just that. Because otherwise you would miss the beautiful part. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I have to cut it short because otherwise I'm afraid that uh, Courtney will sue us for uh, <laughs> playing too much of her music. I'll listen to, it in my, listen to it in my car back home later on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, what, what makes this song so great in your opinion? I guess um, because it's so intense and beautiful and dark and I, every time I, I hear it, it's it's so full of sorrow and pain uh, that you can almost feel it yourself. She sort of sounds fragile and desperate and powerful all at the same time. That's the things that she combines, and she uh, she does that lo- like no one else, I think. Yeah, and it's really heavily arranged with all uh, the the strings and and stuff on it. So it's it's so far removed from what they did with Pretty on the Inside, taking taking big big steps here. This is also the al- uh, the album with the session drummer, right? You already mentioned the documentary about the drummer. Yeah. Patty Schimmel um, hit so hard. Yeah. She was replaced by a session drummer for this album and uh, she didn't like it. No, in, in, in a horrible way. In a horrible way. What I remember from the documentary exactly. is that the producer is a really big dick. Yeah. Because he let her... Play the parts for like 20 times. yeah, Over and over and over again without even listening to them and just say, no, not good enough, not good enough. Until she was completely devastated and he said, oh, I'll bring in a guy. Yeah. It sounded horrible. It really sounded horrible. And no one stood up for her. I think not even Melissa of their Mauer or Courtney. Yeah. No one who stood up Who was their bassist her, uh, by who this was time. Their, yeah. their bassist. No one stood up for her. And um, apparently, I don't know if that's true, but in this documentary, the, the producer said to Courtney, we have to replace the drummer. And this producer was well known for doing that on a lot of other albums from other bands as well. They claimed it was a very normal thing to do, but... Patty didn't agree and she also didn't she didn't want to fake it she didn't want to say to people yeah I did this when she didn't Um, so then she quit yeah and then she uh, had a really rough time afterwards with her drug addiction becoming bigger and bigger and she lost everything she lived on the streets for for some time and uh, that was it's a horrible story yeah it's 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 a really great documentary Although I think the story was really great. I remember that I didn't really like the way it was made with like technically like the the things they did in between scenes looked a bit clumsy. But yeah, the story is really impressive. Also, Courtney seems to be in a really bad shape yeah. during all of the recordings. She was. She was such in a, in a, such a mean sort of witchy kind of vibe. Yeah, but also she was on something all yeah. of the time. Yeah. Something heavy, uh, I would yeah. say. But, uh, did the rest of the band... I mean, this album was a big success, obviously, but they kind of fell apart pretty soon after that, right? I think so, yeah. 
Then again, in 2010, there was a new whole album coming out all of a sudden, but it was only Courtney with uh, three completely new band members. So it yeah, really because wasn't... eventually she even um, fell apart with uh, Eric Erlandson, right? Yeah, I think so. Actually, I thought until quite recently that afterwards uh, all she had released were uh, Courtney Love solo albums. And then it was only when you pointed out to me, no, this was actually a whole release. Yeah. It really puzzles me why she did that. Me too. I don't know. And um, Eric Erlandson was quite mad at it too, I think. Yeah. I would yeah. say, well, if, if if she releases it as a solo album, you know, she gets all the credits. and the, Well, maybe she gets them anyway. I don't know. Maybe she owns the name whole. I don't know how that I think they had an works. agreement that they owned the name together. So could it have to strange. do with just something really, I'd say really normal? But if you use the same band name, you will know that the album in the record stores and also online is uh, mixed with the older albums and that people who love Hole will see this album because they won't be looking for Courtney Love in the record store or on Spotify. Yeah, because her solo stuff didn't really do well, I think. Yeah, probably. But I think I've read that uh, this actually started off as a solo project and then she had to start over like two or three times and then all of a sudden she decided that it was a whole album. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think she weird. even, yeah, it was a weird story. I think she even flew Melissa out of their mower in to do some backing vocals. Yeah, oh. I read that she said she was just asked to help Courtney out in the studio. Yeah. And then she later found out that it, it was, was released whole. as a whole album. <laughs> she just thought, well, I know her and we work together well. So sure. Yeah. I want to be a, a guest star on your solo album. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, this this is very weird. I, I yeah. don't know. Uh, but but do, do you like the album itself, Nobody's Daughter? I do, yeah. I think she wrote it while uh, she was in rehab. She herself thought of it as her most personal album ever. I think the other ones were a bit better, but I still like it. I mean, not every song, but I think there's at least five really good songs on there. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting that she teamed up with Linda Perry. Yeah. Who... I think uh, most people will know as the singer of uh, What's Going On by the Four Non Blondes. But she's also a really successful songwriter and producer. She wrote uh, the song for Pink yep. coming up, Get the Party Started. And Beautiful for Christina Aguilera, I'm think, uh, I think. So, yeah, she's a really influential and successful writer and producer. And it's an interesting combination, although I'm not sure if it works out all the time. Um, so what of the highlights uh, would you like to uh, share with our listeners? There's this one song. It's it's a ballad again. It's called Letter to God. And uh, I thought the lyrics, they, they, they sort of were uh, out of place in a way. I, I didn't know. Uh, they didn't seem like, seemed like Courtney's, uh, but that made sense because it turned out Linda Perry wrote them. Let's have a listen. Don't know who I am. And I think 
it's almost like her version of I did it my way. Sort of, yeah. And it's so literal. And Courtney would never write like that. But still, she could have. I mean, it, it is like she is singing the story of her life in a yeah. way. They were friends, right? As well. They were Linda friends, Perry yeah. I think Linda Perry visited her in rehab and she gave her wow. a guitar and she said, here, go write songs. And that's how, how this album uh, came about. But I think Linda Perry also said about this song that she had just, she'd just have it somewhere. And Courtney... Uh, saw it or, or or listened to it somehow and she just wanted to have it so she was like i want to have this song and then so she just she just picked the song of linda perry yeah. i think i read that somewhere but so uh i have quite some stuff lined up but i think we're gonna have to <laughs> put this uh, uh episode almost to to an end are there things on your um list that you think oh we've skipped over this or we we really have to discuss this or really have to well, there's play no, this. I think we've listened to most of the really good songs, although I do have a few, but of course there's no time for that, so that's okay. But um, there's just one thing I, I wanted to say is that um, people often sort of don't like Courtney Love and therefore they decide they don't like her music. And I think that's kind of a shame because if you sort of neglect her behavior as an asshole, as she sometimes does, if you let the songs sort of speak for themselves, then they are so beautiful and they really contributed to the music industry and to the grunge scene. And um, yeah, so if you don't like Courtney Love, just skip the whole sort of <laughs> distractive ways that she's uh, behaving and just listen to her music. And yeah. uh, maybe you'll like it. Yeah, totally get what you mean. So um, what what's the last song? Um, okay, I'm going to give you a choice between a Fleetwood Mac cover, a Guns N' Roses cover and a pirate song. I'd go for the Fleetwood Mac cover for ah, sure. Ah, too bad. Uh, you, you wanted the pirate, pirate song. song. <laughs> <laughs> I did listen to it before because <laughs> you mentioned it. Who did on on uh, Facebook the pirate one? Yeah, it's a duet between Michael Stipe, friend of the podcast, and Courtney Love. <laughs> Put uh, it in singing uh, Rio Grande. But we are going to listen to uh, Hall's version of um, "Gold Dust Woman" by Fleetwood Mac. Why do you pick this one? When Courtney wanted to start a band, she put an, an ad in the local newspaper looking for other band members. And she said, uh, I want to start a band. My influences are, I think, Big Black, Sonic Youth, I think, and Fleetwood Mac. And um, I wouldn't have guessed that Fleetwood Mac was such a big influence on uh, on Courtney Love. Yeah, so but it's it sort of more or less represents her pop influence and yeah, exactly. melodic side. Yeah, totally makes sense. So uh, I'm going to have listened to Gold Dust Woman.
Okay, so that uh, brings this uh, episode to an end. First of all, uh, Yudhitya, you came into this episode saying, I don't really know a lot about Hall. Not really sure if I like him. How do you feel about it now? I've heard a lot of things during this episode that I found really interesting, music-wise as well. So I will definitely go and have another listen to their albums. And the pirate song? Yeah, it's a sea shanty, actually. The Rio Grande. There's a difference between sea shanties and pirate songs, but that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> Don't get me started on shanties and folk songs because <laughs> I know a lot about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'll listen to that. No, but but definitely. And I think just to wrap this up, uh, as far as Courtney is concerned, I think Hufrin, you really was spot on by saying like even if you don't like who she is have another listen to the to the songs and I never hated Courtney but I never took a liking to her either which is I think also why I didn't really get into their music but there's a difference between the music and and the person so uh yeah that really sort of hit home for me as well and uh yeah I uh I'm really happy to uh have been able to dive a bit deeper into uh, into holes. So uh, thank you for that. Cool. Yeah, thanks a lot uh, for uh, enlightening us. <laughs> Very welcome, Seats. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course, I want to thank uh, everybody out there uh, listening to us. If you like Hole better now, uh, please uh, let us know by uh, sending us an email. Uh, you can also uh, request a uh, essay by Aditya about pirate songs and whatever. Not pirates. You can send an email to uh, SherwoodPodcast at gmail.com. That's right. It's SherwoodPodcast at gmail.com. Or you can send us a message through Facebook if you go to facebook.com slash nirvanapodcast. For now, everybody, thanks for listening. And till next time. Bye. 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 Caroline de Grutjes, ik hoop dat je het niet hebt afgehoord. (laughs) 